now, it's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station, 77 WABC. Got my first real six string Bought it at the five and done Played it till my fingers bled Was a summer of 69 Me and some guys from school I don't know. Who is this first? Oh, come on. This is good. Come on. Dizzy Izzy, I couldn't believe. Who is this? Corey Hart? Who is this? No, no. Think of it. If Dizzy Izzy knows this song, you should know this song. I mean, I know it. It's just they all they blur together, these long-haired guys from a certain period. Oh, we're going to have to let this linger on you, Anthony Weiner. Is that Corey? What am I thinking? Uh, no, no. The summer. The summer of... Think about it. Got a little John Mellencamp sound to it, but it's not that. Well, uh, maybe it is. Is it? John, maybe it is. John, Dizzy, uh, John Dizzy Cougar Dizzy, would, you, uh, would you inform him, please, as our Urio Asiatic uh, righteous black man who is the director of operations here? <laughs> Thank you so much, Curtis. This is our Brian Adams, Anthony. Brian Adams, or the other Adams. Brian Adams, who had a life-changing experience yeah, when he Brian walked Adams. through Stanley Park in Vancouver and then went on to all that fame. And you know who else uh, had a life-changing experience walking through Stanley Park in Vancouver? Gorgeous Park. The Reverend Stung Young Moon, who said God spoke to him there and said, you must bring the Unification Church to North America. The Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, how do I, I know I, that? Because I had guardian angels see, in Vancouver. My, my opening music is Ryan Adams, which is a completely different vibe. Uh, but I guess I should have gotten it. Oh, no, it's Ryan good. Adams. Ryan Adams. Excellent. Excellent. Cuts like a knife. Is he that one? What he does? Cuts like a knife? I think he does. Yeah, well, speaking of knives, he was very good with a knife, very good with a gun. And in that famous scene with Leonardo DiCaprio, of the many films that were made... Out of, about Whitey Bulger. Remember Jack Nicholson comes out of that back room. He's got blood all over him. He was the Whitey Bulger uh, character. He said, hey, I'll get with you in a second. I, I got business to attend to back here. He was yeah. chopping up a body. But you wanted to speak about something that I always talk about. One of the few here at WABC. The mobsters choking on their lobsters, whether they happen to be Italian or Jewish or Irish or black, it doesn't matter, members of organized crime in their particular racial or ethnic group. You wanted to talk about public enemy number one. He was up there with Osama bin Laden for a while, while Whitey Bulger. Yeah, I'll tell you why. So I, I was inside while this was hap- when this happened, when he was killed, when he, I'm sure you have 15... Curtis asks euphemisms for bit the bullet. I'm sure you can riff them right now if you needed to. When you do your theater of your mind, I'm sure they don't come out one at a time. They come out ten at a time. <laughs> but when I was inside, you know, one of the things, you know, you're, you're in there with guys who have been inside for a long time. And, and the place that I was at was also a place that they sent guys who had been shipped out of other yards because they had been snitches. And so you get a good cross-section at this place. So it's a place called Devon's up in uh, in Massachusetts. And when this happened, there's nothing that inmates – and, yes, I'm sorry, Kathy Hochul, I still call them inmates – that inmates like to talk about more than stuff going on inside prison. They love that kind of stuff. Yeah. They all like talking. Yeah. And so when this happened, um, a couple of things emerged very quickly among guys who should know. And I just sat and listened. I didn't have a lot of experience with this stuff, obviously, and thank God I don't. But a couple of things they said. I mean, one thing they said is that the BOP killed him, meaning not they actually, the Bureau of Prisons, not that they actually did it, like a guard actually did it, which might be, no, but the way they had left him in general population, and I don't know if you remember the story, he was supposed to have been moved, then he was delayed, and then when he was moved too late, they get him off the bus, and they left him in general population without any additional security, whatever it is. The way all of that went down, so the guys who know inside inside my prison, they all said someone 
was given a few shekels to leave him in oh. a place he wasn't supposed to No, that remember, he was in a wheelchair. Right. And so, like, now there's some, like, oh, well, he was being courageous. He wanted to be in Chattanooga. No, he was left someplace he wasn't supposed to be. Second thing is, everyone said immediately when it happened, 30 guys knew who did it. At least knew who did it. And the problem is, and I'm sure the Bureau of Prisons knew within minutes who did it, right? The problem is... No one was going to actually, in a place like that, no one was going to actually snitch. They might whisper to a CO, oh, yeah, it's Louis clearly did it. But no one really talked. There is, whether you've been in there for an hour or you've been in there for a day or you've been in there for 20 years, the COs don't, you know, no, no one snitches to the COs in that kind of environment. And remember, this is a supermax place. There's not, there's not, you're not getting out anyway. Like, you know, you might, you're not going to get maybe extra commissary or whatever the crazy thing they're going to do. So... That was now four years ago. So now people within authority knew what happened to Whitey Bulger. And just this week, we're hearing that there are arrests. Something isn't something is fishy. Well, remember, the guys involved, the three or four guys, the main guy was uh, already a member of organized crime in Massachusetts. And they wanted Whitey Bulger in the worst way. He had killed the head of the Genovese crime family in Springfield. So he puts together the guys. And uh, obviously, the uh, Bureau of Prisons transfers him to this mob prison. That's really what Hazleton right. in is West Virginia, knowing he's impaired, knowing he's in a wheelchair, putting him in general population, right. right on the same tier as these guys who want to kill him. And then they wheel him in the wheelchair over to the corner, out of sight of the uh, camera. And they put a padlock stuffed in a sock and they beat him continuously to the point he was not recognized. They had to yeah. take his teeth out to actually check dental records. And they were all put in the bing. Solitary confinement. They've been there ever since. And you're right. Why now four years later? Because I think uh, so much has been said about the FBI taking care of their informants, bending over backwards for them. This guy, Conley, remember the FBI up in Boston? Anything that Whitey Bulger wanted, Whitey Bulger got because he was a confidential informant. And uh, he basically would give him information about all of his adversaries. They would clear a path for him to continue to commit crime and become public enemy number one in the United right. States. Well, that's why. But that's why he was unpopular inside and was constantly at risk of this thing. This the whole thing is just sounds the whole thing is just weird that it would happen now. now you know, I mentioned that some that they knew who did it from word go. The problem was you're not getting anyone to testify. Like you're not going to get any actual information that you can actually use. So I'm um, um you know something might have happened that someone dimed someone out in it could in exchange for something else. I don't know. But the whole thing is very weird. But the 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 bottom line here is that the Bureau of Prisons is a defendant as well. You know and they, they should be they, because there is no way this kind of thing happens without Somebody and by the way, how does that? How does that? Uh, well, what what winds up happening to the guy that's running the prison? He gets a promotion. Yep, <laughs> he got a promotion. You know, far Picked from it. You know, far from it being an embarrassment, he winds up getting a promotion. Now, DOJ runs the prison system. Do you really think the Attorney General of the United States knows what's going on in the federal prison system? For instance, Barr was in charge of the federal prison system when supposedly Jeffrey Epstein hung himself in downtown Manhattan. That jail has been closed since. Do we really think that Barr knew what was going on in the federal lockups? Oh, can I tell you, the, the Bureau of Prisons is the redheaded stepchild of, of the justice system. No one knows what goes on there. Part of the reason why it is such a – it is it is kind of – there's so much – corruption is a strong word. There's, there's so much malfeasance in the, in the Bureau of Prisons. There's no one watches. No one cares. And what goes on in there, unlike any other business where you've got customers who can get on Yelp and say you've done a bad job or they can call their congressman, the customers for BOP have no rights. They have no real way to get the message out. The mo you know, people are listening on into phone calls and reading mail. You don't risk, you know, sending a letter home saying I'm being abused or my rights are being abused. The moment your lawyer calls up and makes a complaint is is the moment you you get thrown into the hole or that you find your 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 locker getting tossed i'm just saying that that there's no way that the attorney general in any administration knows that much about what's going on in BOP bureau of prisons they should and when you have these kind of hope you know there's no way the justice department should take any time of victory lap 
for finding out who killed Whitey Bulger four years ago. Well, you know, interesting. You mentioned the first hour of your show in the middle was all about politics with the primary upon us uh, Tuesday. And obviously a lot of interest, although I must tell you, Anthony, uh, being around the city, almost no votes, uh, early voting, almost no voting. Uh, talk to actually some of the candidates who are giving out their palm cards. <laughs> 60 people in one day in Chelsea alone. That's a big, that's a big voting block there. And it's not coming out, but politics and Whitey Bolger was side by side. His youngest brother was William Billy Bolger, who became the person controlling the Democratic Party in Kennedy, Massachusetts. He rose to become president of the Senate. Uh, in uh, Massachusetts, eventually president of the University of Massachusetts. Remember, he was called on board when his brother, Whitey Bulger, his o- older brother, was on the lam. He was cross-examined in front of a, um, a state legislative hearing. Uh, do you know where your brother is? Have you had conversation with your brother? He took the fifth. Not as many times as Trump has, uh, 440 times. But remember, he kept taking the I fifth. I didn't know that, did he, really? Oh, yeah, he knew. He, his brother yeah. was in touch with him. Remember, they all grew up in Southie, which was the Irish enclave. Irish lived in projects there. Tough. Uh, I've been to Southie. But he merged with the Italians, Fleming. So he, he had both covered. He had Fleming, the rifleman who was his uh, partner, and they would uh, use the FBI to clear out any of their adversaries on either the Irish side or the Italian side. And they did something that normally is uh, not forgivable, even amongst organized criminals. They strangled and they mangled and they badly killed a woman in a manner that was just so despicable and bragged about it. Bragged about it. And so a lot of the mobsters choking on their lobsters, whether you were in North uh, Boston, the Italian, Southie, uh, uh, in uh, Boston, amongst the Irish, they wanted this guy dead. Well, it's a good thing we don't have crime here in New York. That's a, such a relief that this is only a problem they have. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I was in your old neck of the woods. Yesterday, uh, I was at the 18th Avenue Italian Festival that happens wow. every year. Yeah. I was like, well, you knew that like the back of your hand. And a lot of old-timers there would stop me and say, you a rat. You a rat, Slee. And I say, yeah, I eat the Parmesan cheese every day. I don't talk to no rats. I said, well, I guess we're not going to have a conversation. By the way, do you have any information? Because you look like a confidential informant. <laughs> and that just drives them crazy. Because that's where a guy named Scarpa was. Now, people remember Lindley Del Vecchio. He was the FBI controller agent of the Grim Reaper, Scarpa, who was, like, killing people on all sides. He was a clumble guy. He ended up with age, HIV, AIDS, until the day he died, he was slaughtering people. And the FBI cleared a path for him. Whatever uh, the Grim Reaper, Scarpa wanted, Scarpa got it, eliminated all of his competition. And this is what FBI handlers have done over the years. You cooperate with me, we take care of you, and we let you go out there and commit crimes. Conley for uh, Whitey Bulger, Lindley Del Vecchio for the Grim Reaper Scarpa. And it's all part of this discussion about the FBI. And, you know, even with the raid of Mar-a-Lago, I say, you think the FBI was all that great with J. Edgar Hoover? Fifty years of a totalitarian dictator who could determine whether you would live or die or whether you would be ostracized? You know, but what I don't understand, and I, and I raised this last week, maybe you can give me a good answer. How can you have skepticism about the IRS agents or about the FBI and then have no skepticism about regular police officers. Like, I think the one thing left and right kind of have an agreement is we have a healthy skepticism about the power of the state being abused. Absolutely. So, you know, just the same way that communities of color say I'm skeptical of the NYPD in my neighborhood, we say the, the, the FBI has overstepped its authority in dealing with the president. People are concerned that the IRS is going to now go out and jackboot and walking around now that they have more money in their budget and start abusing our rights. I think it's perfectly reasonable to say we have a lot in common left and right. But you can't say, oh, every single thing the NYPD does is perfect and every police officer is, is, is a knight in shining armor. There are abuses in all levels and all types of law enforcement overwhelmingly they're good, honest, decent people doing the right things. But there are abuses everywhere, well, and know, I think that's something we can agree upon. Just like we've talked about immigration when Ronald Reagan uh, gave amnesty to the illegals crossing over the border. Just blanket amnesty. Boom. Didn't matter. Blanket amnesty. Republicans at that time liked 
illegals coming in because cheap labor. Democrats were opposed to it because they were strong unions, and unions said, you're going to kill our membership. They're going to be hiring men and women who work for pennies to a dollar. We'll lose all our benefits. Even Cesar Chavez of the uh, United Farm Workers Union was opposed to it because he says, my people aren't going to be able to eat. Now, look at how things have changed around immigration. Roles have been reversed. Yeah, but I, just like with the FBI. Yeah, except, except with immigration, there's still a core, and we have to hit a break, but there is a core of pro-business Republicans who know that we have to have help fix our immigration system. Because right now, the same problems that Ronald Reagan confronted when he did a legal immigration bill with Ted Kennedy and Chuck Schumer, the same exact issues exist now, well, that you cannot find someone to pick almonds in California right no now. No doubt. Wall Street uh, Journal has always promoted illegal aliens coming <laughs> in. But we'll talk about that later. What I'd like to talk about is back in Watergate, Democrats did not trust the FBI. They did not trust the FBI. Republicans, law and order, FBI. Then all of a sudden, over time, because situations change, notice who's more supportive of the FBI now, Democrats. <laughs> Who's more anti-FBI? Republicans. It all goes full circle, depending on who's being scrutinized, who is under the focus of investigations. I've had well, I, don't, I don't know. A lot of them, we don't like the FBI. You know, John, uh, Jim Comey, we're not big fans of the FBI either. But I think, I think that, you know, if you're going to be pro-law enforcement, that means you support the FBI. But think of it. When Donald Trump unexpectedly was elected president of the United States, if he had whacked Comey right after his inauguration... Democrats would have applauded. 100%. Republicans would have applauded. Yes, you know, what the hell did he keep this guy on for? Yeah, well, l- l- last week I did a whole deep dive into that John Ken- how what a, a, a punk Jim Comey was and how, look, the problems we have with confidence in the FBI today, Jim Comey, that's where it started. Oh, yeah. That's where I, it started. Well, I totally you know, FBI, concur with you. you. Know, F- FBI, you know, everyone's saying we want to see what you got. No, that's because they're used to Jim Comey giving press conferences when people didn't do and anything wrong. Let's be totally understood that this glorification, you know, uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., the TV program, remember right, FBI. Right. J. Edgar Hoover, 50 years, complete control. Presidents were afraid of him. The House, the Senate. So when... Uh, uh, Chuck Schumer says, well, you know, uh, national security intelligence, they can get you six ways. Back then, it was J. Edgar Hoover. You didn't play ball with him. That was it. You could be finito. Look at Martin Luther King Jr. Yep. They wanted him to commit suicide. They yep. wanted him to commit suicide. Look at all the other people whose lives were destroyed by J. Edgar Hoover. Label them as communists. Friends of my father, label them as communists. Because they went to a meeting and organizing. Yeah, but, but let's let's make a distinction though. The 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 handful of men and women that I dealt with on my case. Remember, I was a fe- I was in a federal a federal a case. They were decent guys. They were decent. But they they kind of quasi apologized to me all the time about. Listen, I'm sorry, we're in this situation. We're just doing what we're told. They're people who followed the letter of the rules. They're people that were like normal human beings. You know, had had feelings and whatever it is. I think it is reasonable to separate out. Taking a run at the individual agents that were doing the work. Oh, they, I, now, I, I don't know about that. You had a good experience. I had a bad experience. I found out after the trial against John Gotti Jr., four trials, trying him on kidnapping and uh, killing, trying to kill me. It uh, Michael Leonardi did the 20 years as gunman. But I was told afterwards the FBI knew they had a confidential informant early on when Gotti wouldn't have been able to escape through the statute of limitation. Confidential informant lays it all out to them. And the FBI has a meeting and said, we're going to give up our confidential informant for that big mouth, blankety-blank-blank yeah, yeah. Sliwa. Forget it. We're not surfacing him for Sliwa. Gotti Jr. would have been doing triple life without parole. Hey, FBI, we've had one ghoul to you. Uh, hey, hey, interpret that in bodies, please. But I look, I, I, I think that, that my, you know, I, I, I mean, look, what, what went on down there, we're going to have plenty of chances to find this out. But I don't like this whole reveal the documents, reveal the documents. No, shut up unless you unless you're going to bring a charge against someone. You know, I don't know why everyone's talking about this thing. The, the reason that you don't release affidavits, the reason that you don't release an affidavit and a search warrant is because it's what the state says about Donald Trump. And I'm no fan of Donald Trump, but it should not be one hand clapping. But if you, you don't, if you got a case, show us the case, go to trial and, and let Trump's lawyers Rebutted on the other I know, side. But you have to admit, Garland's performance in that five-minute <sighs> explanation, the guy looked like he was a deer staring into the headlights. I know, because you know why? Because we all learned, like, after the Jim Comey thing, where he's given these fancy press conferences, everyone was saying the same thing. Democrats and Republicans like, just shut up already. 
Just shut up. It's not your job to be giving press conferences. And it's kind of the same way with DOJ. Yeah, we're not, you know, everyone says, we want to know what you got. Show us what you got. All right. You want to know what you got? Wait till it goes to trial. I mean, by the way, let's remember who released the, that, that the search even happened. Donald Trump. I got to right? tell you, I don't trust the Republicans. I don't trust the Democrats. I don't trust the FBI. I don't trust the Department of Justice. I look at them and say, prove to me what you're saying, because you've lied historically, well, lied but, again and again and again when it, when it fits your purpose. Well, that's true of law enforcement. That's what law enforcement does. They put their side of the case out, and then they say, I'm sorry, when it turns out to be wrong years later. I mean, that's that's why you don't go out. That's why I, you know, everyone says, I want to see the affidavit, see the affidavit. I don't think that's fair to Donald Trump, to anyone here, because all you're going to get is what the prosecution says, and they're not going to have any rebuttal. Then we're going to have this public conversation about it. Let's do our talking in court. But there are a lot of people who are walking free today after serving 10, 20, 30 years in prison because prosecutors abused their authority, because cops lied on the stand, because informants were paid to do what they were, what they were doing. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical of law enforcement right now. Let me tell you something up next. Some people were skeptical <laughs> of you over 20 years ago when you put an end to the Concord. I remember your press conferences then Congressman Anthony Weiner, I had an experience on the Concord. Now, apparently, United Airlines is bringing it back. Let's say what the, the guy responsible for the execution of the Concord has to say about its revival up next. Curtis on the right, Anthony Weiner on the left. If you missed any of Anthony Weiner's In the Middle show where he goes solo uh, from 2 to 3, just go to WABCRadio.com to get all of your podcasts of this show and every other show here at WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Oh, little lounge music here. It's like Liquid Prozac. When you hear this, again, I don't think this is on your hit list. Too uh, hot. Don't think it's on your hit list, Anthony. Oh, are you kidding? This is a great song. Oh. And there's a, there's a great Coolio song that samples this. Oh, see, you're in flashback mode. Well, let me take you back about 20 years. You were the congressman representing um, areas of Queens that bordered uh, JFK, the International Airport. And I remember seeing you on the tarmac. Press conference after press conference, do away with the Concord, the sonic boom. You lobbied, you were a nudge, and eventually they did away with the Concord, which could fly you from Paris to JFK, three and a half hours, London to JFK, three and a half hours, and you decided to put an end to supersonic flights. But now they're back. Now they're back. United Airlines has ordered 15 of the supersonic jets that will be manufactured in Denver. Apparently, they will not cause as many problems uh, as uh, took place with the old Concorde. And they are ready to resume the flights from uh, Heathrow to JFK and from uh, Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport uh, to uh, JFK, they say, in three hours. Three hours. Well, I am. I, I, I had seen the story that they were ordering these planes. I am dubious of the idea that they don't have the same problems as the old ones. Remember, the old ones, something to do with physics, maybe one of our callers has explained it, that when you break the sound barrier, it makes this big boom. It's called a sonic boom. We're all familiar with that expression. And if you lived in Broad Channel or if you lived in Rockaway, if you lived in that path where it curves out, it takes off to the takes off to the north and then loops around, um, not only did it make that boom, but it the, the way the plane worked is it, took off very low to the ground on top of everything else. And so one of my early successes was getting rid of it. But I can't take a lot of credit for it. Two things were happening. One, the planes were falling apart. Um, they were no longer – it wasn't that great a trip. If you, you know, I mean, from what I understand, it's kind of cramped in there. But unfortunately, it was, there was a crash. If you remember, the Air France, it was, it was British Air, but Air France had a crash on the, on the French side of it. And they decided to finally retire. But I, I am not looking forward to those coming back. I don't represent that community anymore. But you know, it's one thing 
you know, that is a gigantic airport down there. Uh, the entire LaGuardia Airport can fit into the, the main terminal at JFK. I, for the for the sake of the people in my old district, hope that those Concords or those supersonic booms never come back. I don't care what they're called. I don't know how they could possibly say you're not going to make the same sound. Uh, 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 J'accuse you, <laughs> Anthony Weiner, of you, being the grim reaper towards the Concord. I had an opportunity to fly one time. Impossible. I was in London. Uh, and I was racing to the airport to catch the regular British Airlines flight back seven and a half, eight hours in order to do the morning program with Ron Kuby. I was organizing Guardian Angels in London at that time. Just missed going through passport controls. They said, oh, you have to come back tomorrow, you know, rebook your flight. I said, I can't, I can't leave Kuby there by himself. He'll destroy <laughs> WABC. So I talked to the guy in charge of British Airways, an American guy over there. Oh, Curtis, absolutely. You know, um, I, I need to get on this uh, Concorde flight. He goes, man, that's a heavy lift. It's about mm, 10000 if yeah. you bought a one-way ticket back then. He says, I, I need your credit card. Gave my credit card. Obviously, it didn't have 10000 but he ran it. Got to the other side. People say, oh, wow, you're on the Concorde. What it does is it went straight up, shaking every step of the way. You thought yeah. the plane was going to fall apart. When they would give you uh, any food, it would be falling off the tray. You know, everything <laughs> shook. And as soon as it went up, that's when it began its descent. Boy, you got there in three, three and a half hours. But I'm telling you, you were shaky and wakey. And so eventually I had to contest the $10,000 price. I didn't have it. So I went to the old Boulevard Watch Factory, which is right across the street from LaGuardia, which housed British Airways. And the head of the uh, U.S. Division of uh, British Airways in Queens was a former nun who knew me. And she said, Curtis, I understand. I'll take care of it. Now, you were arguing that since you they canceled your flight or that you were delayed and you had to get I had back. no argument. <laughs> <laughs> I bamboozled them. They ran my credit card. It didn't have $10,000 on it. I was obviously in a jam. This nun who knew me, right, former nun, we got it. But it's a small plane, right? It's not a very big plane, right? Well, it's long. It's like a pencil yeah. with a long beak. But, boy, you go right up, and, and there's yeah. not much room in the cabbage. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. It's not that big a plan, yeah. And uh, you're only taking it, not for any luxury or gourmet dining. You're taking it to get across the pond in three and a half hours. Yeah. I mean, the, the question is, is there some way, and by the way, just engine noise in that part of the world, just on regular flights, is really loud. I mean, you get used to it after a little while. It's kind of like living next to a subway. But that plane was exceptionally, exceptionally loud. And it was really, particularly for residents of Broad Channel, because, it, you know, by the time it reaches the peninsula, Maine, it's getting a little more more elevation. But for those people in Broad Channel, man, they were happy to see it go. Well, we would hear it in Canarsie. Yeah. You could hear the sonic boom all throughout Jamaica Bay. Yeah. You looked up, you didn't see anything because it had already passed. The boom, boom. Yeah. So I hold you responsible for that. Well, we had, I have pictures of it somewhere. Maybe people can find them online. We have, uh, for its last flight, I organized a champagne yes. toast yes. where everyone would would toast when they finally and, left. And you know who cursed you at that time? Robin Leach of the <laughs> Lifetimes of the Rich and Famous, who used to love to take the Concorde back and forth in order to make their appearance at Studio 54 and then take the return Concorde all within the same day. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I was advocating for my constituents. Understood, understood. Up next, whose constituents are these folks who are being bussed from Texas after they crossed the border to the Port Authority of New York City? Because we saw Cardinal Dolan and Catholic Charities embrace them, but then say, but we need money to be able to do this. Aha, up next, uh, you'll have to break it down for us, Anthony Weiner, because, uh, <laughs> how do you embrace Migrants coming in, but you don't want to pay the bills for them. Uh, that's us on Left versus Right here on WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner.
if the Concord went to Ireland, I wouldn't mind. Anthony, yeah. I see some U2. Yeah, I'm telling you. Pretty damn good here, Anthony. Your musical choices today are spot on. I'm just, I'm, I'm, uh, this, this is, your, this is to, your world. I'm just living in it. I was li- listening to you in the middle, and the music was really lame. I was saying, man, I hope they take it up a few notches. They really did for left versus right. But uh, let's look at the panoply of different um, actors and actresses who have made an appearance at the Port Authority every morning, 7 o'clock, buses roll in. They normally have been on the road for two, two and a half, sometimes three days. Uh, dispatch from Texas. Uh, next stop, Nueva York. Uh, Governor Abbott has even put security officers on the buses because there were so many complaints uh, along the way that the migrants were bailing out early. They were supposed to go directly to New York. You know, obviously, they have to stop along the way to use the facilities, to get food, uh, nourishment, take a little rest. Uh, but a lot of them were filtering out. They were deciding not to come back on the bus. Now, uh, Eric Adams, the mayor, originally said when he went down there two uh, Sundays ago, he hasn't been back there since, that they were in fear of coming to New York. Now, he claimed it was of ICE immigration. Uh, others said it was because of the crime. I say it's because of the crime because they watch Univision and Telemundo. They see what's going on here. But uh, so Abbott has done that. He's got security guards on all the Greyhounds, and they keep coming now. It's uh, You almost don't hear buses going to D.C. anymore. They've all been rerouted to New York. Uh, Cardinal Dolan was accepting them. Catholic Charities uh, was taking care of their needs. But then immediately they said, we don't have enough resource to do this. We need money. So, Anthony, where's the money going to come from? The city, the state, the federal government? Because Biden and Harris and Mayorkas have been absolutely quiet about sending any money to New York City to deal with all the migrants coming in. When you say all the migrants, how many do you think there are? Well, now I think we're starting to approach thousands. I mean, okay. every day they're, they're averaging about I don't think, three I don't or four think it's buses. Thousands. I don't think it's thousands, but I, I mean, look, we, we people can come to New York City, and I, by the way, I don't understand what the Abbott security thing is. What the, he can't stop them from getting off the bus in Houston, can he? Well, let's face it. If they see a security officer, it would prevent them from doing a mad dash. Well, why? Why can't they? They're not prisoners. Well, no. But the point being is, they were they they agreed they're going to go to New York, and along the way they're jumping out. Yeah. I mean, this whole issue is perplexing to me in that why everyone is playing into Abbott's hands here. This, I mean, we, we have people coming to New York City from all over the world all the time, documented, undocumented, waiting for documentation. These people, by the way, are in the process of trying to get documentation. These are not people that violated the law. They were people that showed up, said, we're here, we're, we're seeking asylum. And they said, okay, come back at this certain time, or in some cases they're being transported to where they have support, somewhere, you know, a, a nonprofit, family members or whatnot. Um, but we in New York City have an obligation to some degree to people that show up here. Now, you, I, I think people are misunderstanding what this notion of sanctuary city means. And you pointed out on your show earlier this week, you know, how, how sanctuary city this has been a sanctuary city, quote unquote, for a long time. All that means is that we, the authorities in New York City, are not going to turn you in if they find out that you're undocumented. Not sanctuary that we give you housing or that we give you food or that we give you something else. We do have a court decree here in New York that if you are homeless in New York, unlike any other city in the country, you have a legal right to housing, okay, which is one of the reasons why so many homeless people leave other parts of the country and come here because they know they can waive that court decree, that that decree. But I think that that if I were Eric Adams, and I, I would say, look, they're like anyone else who comes to New York. If you're in, in need, we're going to try to take care of you. We don't appreciate other cities dumping us. But you remember there have been mayors, and I think Mayor Giuliani was one. I know Mike Bloomberg was one. We would give homeless people bus tickets to leave the city. We would yeah, do the Koch same thing. Koch that. Koch did it too. To uh, Newark, so, uh, to the old uh, Lincoln Motel. Yeah, we would we would offer people bus tickets to go. We would say anywhere. You, I, I don't know how we did it. I think it was more or less anything you wanted up to $150 to go. Yeah. Um, and so this is not an uncommon thing. Politicians do this all the time. This type of thing. I believe it's inhumane. I, be- I believe that Cardinal Dolan is right. We've got to take care of people who need taken care All of. Right, but wait a second. Let's say you're an average, everyday, local homeless person, maybe a veteran. And now you're in a shelter in Bellevue, not far from where we're broadcasting. Miserable place. Dormitory-style housing. People always being robbed. They're being abused there. And now you're finding out that these brand-new migrants coming in off the Greyhound 
are going to be going to the Milford Plaza, right on Broadway and 8th Avenue, 1,300 rooms. And you're saying, what am I, chopped liver? I'm an American. I'm here in this shelter. They get to go to the Milford Plaza? Uh, look, but we've, we've have, we, uh, it's this notion like there's this one long line of people that are trying to get homeless services and someone is jumping ahead in the line. That's not the way it is. We have a population of homeless people, some that are do some that are, that are turning up and getting services and getting cared for and getting rooms and others that are not. That happens all the time. This, this is coming from a different place, but we have homeless people here. We have people in need here. We have to take care of all of them as best we can, and we don't have the resources to do it, and we have to try to figure out how we can get some help to do it. But this whole idea, oh, I'm an American homeless person compared to that person who just showed up as a homeless person, when you're you know, a policymaker in New York City, you're just trying to figure out how to take care of the humanity well, that you have in front of you. I noticed in some of the interviews with them, especially from Venezuela, they're complaining, complaining. They had to sleep on a floor for a few days. Oh, excuse me. You don't like that? Go back to Maduro's Caracas in Venezuela. Look, you're showing. You had to sleep on a floor for a few days? You see, this is it. What bullfest? Hold on a second. You have guys being put on a bus in Texas. They get off the bus. Someone puts a microphone and says, how's how's it been? It's been bad. I had to sleep on a And then you're giving them a hard time because they're answering the question wrong. Just leave these people out of it. What do you mean leave them out of it? (laughs) They're grumbling and mumbling like they're They're already grumbling and mumbling. They're answering questions because it's become a press... This has become a press gaggle. Anthony, now, when these how many of them the have walked miles and miles and miles with no bus? Just walk to the border to declare asylum, they've, come across. They've gone through horrible things in order to get this so, far. So they're on a Greyhound yeah. bus. They're being fed. They're being clothed. They all have cell phones. How the hell do they have cell phones, Anthony? They're taking selfies and sending them back to their country of origin and saying, Come to Dwayne Yorker, you're going to be staying at the Milford Plaza. Well, who does it get any better than I, that? I, I don't, I don't, I, yeah, but you're a politician putting him on the bus to make a political point. A politician meeting him at the other end to make a political point. Reporters who are reporting on the political points and acting outrage. Commentators saying, oh, listen to what they said when someone else was making a political point. All I'm saying is that we have just lost our sense of the humanity of this situation. I mean, there are people that are involved. There are children that are involved. There are people that are, like, trying to figure what the heck is going on. And you think these people, when they showed up at the border, thought they were going to have be part of a press gaggle in, 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 uh, in, in the Port Authority? I mean, have a little empathy for these people. Yeah, but, they're, well, being treated, they're being treated as fodder for Fox News and they? for our shows. Who are they? All right, who, they, who are they? They're, they're, a lot of them are people that are leaving dire circumstances. All right, but we don't even know who they are. They don't have to show any oh, that's identification. Well, well, that's sure identification or not. We have to some degree of – usually they do have identification when they show because it's important for them to be able to fill out the paperwork for, for, to, to be granted asylum. Yeah, but there's nobody vetting that paperwork. There's nobody vetting it. <clears throat> and look, we have <laughs> polio, monkeypox. There's malaria, there's TB, there's COVID variants. What do you mean there's no one vetting them? They're not getting they, tested. They, no, but these people are showing up, just so, I, so, so everyone understands – they're showing up to U.S. authorities and saying, I am here under the laws of the United States of America asking for asylum. That's what they're doing. They're, okay. follow, they're complying right. with the law. Anybody could do that. I understand. They're, but I'm saying they're complying with the law. These are not people who are trying to circumvent the law. They're yeah, using, Trump, you might not like the Trump law. said you stay in Mexico until you get a hearing. You, you're not coming across. And we had an agreement with Mexico that no, they would keep them on the Mexican no. side. We had agreement with the people in Mexico to help us manage this problem. That is true. But don't say that they were prevented from coming over. You know, if you forget the stories about people locked in cages and put in hotels and, and the nonprofits that turned out to be fraudulent dealing with these people. The people oh, ha- that also took place in the Obama years. But if you want to solve the problem, say, I want to solve the problem. And that means passing legislation to fix this problem. Now, up to now, I have not heard my Republican friends say, here's how I think we should we should solve the problem. They say, let's solve a different problem. Let's go build a wall. They say, let's arrest this guy or that guy. But for these people, the people that are showing up and following the rules, they don't want to change the rules. But you say following the rules. What rules? The rules. That- Anybody could show up and claim I'm a son. I've seen yes, guys that's the law. with MS-13 tattoos. They won't let ICE get involved with vetting them out that's in New York true. City. That's not true. Well, wait a second. Eric Adams has said, nobody is communicating with me. Well, he said, I don't want to communicate no, with pa- ICE, Limigra, no, Immigration, no, pa- and Naturalization No, no, but these are two different service. things. Two different things. The sanctuary city policies, and many cities have them, and Democrats and Republicans here have had them. You've pointed that out on your show. 
is not about getting support and getting housing services and food and things like that. It's about the idea that if you come and present yourself to, to law enforcement and say, hey, listen, there's a guy down the block who's dealing drugs, we're not going to ask you to see your papers in case you're undocumented. So people who are undocumented feel comfortable dealing with law enforcement. How crazy is that? Which part? How crazy that they don't have to show documentation, that what? they don't have to show an ID. Well, who who doesn't? I, I'm, I'm talking about illegal we have a sanctuary. aliens. We have a we have a sanctuary city. Nobody's illegal. They're undocumented. No one is an illegal person. But they they well, have they been vetted? Do we know why they're fleeing? For instance, I'll give you an example. You have the brand new president of El Salvador, <laughs> who is now building a supermax facility that's going to house fifty thousand members of MS-13. Now, if you happen to be a member of MS-13, and you see they're building it in the middle of the jungle in El Salvador, and there. There's no rights. They come in the middle of the night. They take you, whether you're MS-13 or not, and they throw you in the gulag. You think maybe you're going to work your way north to uh, America, where it seems to be easy to get in and well, wait, declare yourself? Yeah, uh, I and and it's it's a real, an asylum. Listen, uh, we have a, we have a real crisis at our border with so many people showing up at our front door using this asylum process. When we should have we should have much better resources, we should have much better programs in those those countries. All these different ways that we can do it. I've done whole shows on ways we can improve this. Right now, you may <clears throat> not agree with uh, the approach Trump took building the wall, but he was upfront with his policy. We don't hear from Biden. We don't hear from Harris. She was the czarina appointed to deal with the this border is issues. Not, this this you need laws passed for this, my friend, my man. We need laws. We need laws passed by the, the the House of Representatives and the United States Senate passed by the president. That's what we need. Remember, when we were negotiating to solve these laws, it was not the Democrats who got up and left the table. It was people like Mark Rubio who says, oh, I got in trouble for this because people accused me of amnesty. That's the problem. You need laws passed. This is what gets so me about. American people <laughs> have to be held hostage. We have to have people flooding no. into our country of whom we don't know who they are, where they're from, their backgrounds. They're not being vetted. Uh, they're not being tested medically for all kinds of viruses they may be carrying. I mean, we have global this viruses is the same, now. This is the same system we've had for generations, but here's what's different now. What's different now is year by year, every so often, Democrats, Republicans would sit down and say, here's the new realities of our immigration system. It's no longer the Puerto Rico. It's no longer Mexico. Now it's this. And those things would change. You mentioned Ronald Reagan negotiating with Ted Kennedy and Chuck Schumer in the 1980s. What's different now? is half the political system has said, we won't do anything about this. And you mentioned the wall. I support the wall. I've said it before. It's probably why I'm yes, never going to get yes, elected. However, that's a different problem. All right, but Those are people trying to this is the These are people showing up and asking for asylum. Let's fix those During laws. During the campaign for the presidency, on those rare occasions when uh, candidate, former Vice President Joe Biden emerged, he said, come. He welcomed he welcomed people to come across the border. He was like Papa Chulo. Hey, who's your daddy? Like Pedro Martinez. Come, come, come. Went on. They were wearing T-shirts. No, no. He, he, would, he would say what he would say is that we are going to try to fix this process. And he would also say that we are a country of immigrants. We don't mind immigration. And you're that way, too. Why, look, here's what I would say. You want to know what we should do? This year, when people are running for Congress, and now Lee Zeldin wants a promotion, for example. You should say to him, show me in your record what you have done to solve this problem. Not another problem of building the wall, which is great. I'm fine with it. This problem, the problem of people showing up saying, I want to go through the legal process, but we don't have enough judges because of Congress. We don't have a rapid process because of Congress. We don't have a legal immigration problem because of Congress. We don't have a temporary worker program because of Congress. We don't have a special program for Honduras and Guatemala like we have for Mexico because of Congress. What have you done to solve those problems? They've done nothing because the Republicans have said, I'd rather have the issue old than school, solve the old problem. Old school, Anthony. You don't have a sponsor. You don't come into the United States. That's the but way that- it was for generations. There are no sponsors here to take responsibility for these people once they get onto the American side? Well, actually, one of the reasons they're being flown around the country in the so-called midnight this and midnight that is to get them closer to sponsoring organizations and relatives that can take care of them. You mean to tell me Catholic Charities is saying if they can't get a job, if they can't find a place to live, they won't seek any form of social services. We'll take care of their needs. Well, they're not now eligible. they're asking government they're for not, money. They're not eligible for a lot of those things. No, no, I understand. But the point things. is, Catholic Charities is now saying they're running out of money. They want grants no, from the we, federal government. No, we have government. Niana, we have Catholic Charities. We have a lot of organizations around. I'm just pointing out that one of the reasons why they're getting transferred around. Cardinal Dolan, there's lots of room in the rectory right there at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Take in a few 
of these migrant families. The Vatican, you know, that's an independent country right in the middle of Rome. There are a lot of uh, migrants in Italy. If any of them come knocking on the door of the Vatican, they're not given sanctuary at the Vatican. What a double standard, Anthony. That's a double for. Anyway, up next, you mentioned Congressman Lee Zeldin trying to replace uh, Kathy Hochul. Uh, she was making news yesterday doing an intervention in the Bronx for a crime that went virally around the world. Next on Left versus Right here, WABC, if you missed any of the program, especially Anthony Solo uh, in the middle, just go to WABCradio.com. You can get all the podcasts here. Anthony's show, 2 to 3 on Saturdays, and then we file from 3 to 4. And afterwards, we have a truncated edition. I don't know why they did this. They bifurcated it into three sections. Morning programs at WABC historically overnight and Cousin Brucey. All of them deserve hours. What the hell? We're just giving them hors d'oeuvres? It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Yeah, you can tell James Golden, uh, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, who says Earth, Wind, and Fire is better than Sly and the Family Stone. No chance. No chance. <laughs> but anyway, Anthony Weiner, we saw Governor Kathy Hochul uh, do an intervention on a story out of the many crime stories that went viral quickly and, in fact, had international attention. It was the case of a Vietnamese guy. Up in the Bronx, 188th Grand Concourse uh, in a restaurant. Not, that was just four blocks from where I started the Guardian Angels as a night manager of Mickey D. So I know that area well. By the way, the fact is Vietnamese first reported by you. Yep. Uh, and works there. By the way, nobody has reported. First reported by you. That the reason that he was putting on those gloves we saw, they're lead line gloves. A lot of security officers, even if they're not in uniform, will put them on because a lot of times they're dealing with <laughs> three or four people they got to throw out. But we saw there was no confrontation between him and the Mexican guy, Cortez. That Cortez works in a Mexican restaurant in Brooklyn, lives in the Bronx, was having a meal and drinks with his friends. He comes outside. Everything is pleasant, cool, calm, calm. He just comes up behind him and pow, sucker punches him. And the guy is in ICU now, Jacoby Hospital, blood on the brain. Uh, he may recover. He may not recover. And initially, the Bronx District Attorney's Office took the police arrest, which was for attempted murder. That's what we all saw. Downgraded it to a misdemeanor offense. And then the judge did nothing to correct that in Bronx Criminal Court. And he got, he got released on his, on what they call supervised release, which they never explained. This is, does not mean they get the fortune off ankle bracelet. So he goes home. By the way, he's living in a shelter four blocks away from the restaurant. All hell breaks loose. And people start asking the Bronx DA, Darcel Clark, who does not get the attention of Alvin Bragg, how could you do, how could you downgrade attempted murder by the police? Everybody saw the video. This was Jose Alba in reverse. Yes. And suddenly have a misdemeanor charge. And then the judge sitting doesn't even correct the DA, releases this individual. Then the governor does an intervention on the existing charge that he's on parole for, 1997, uh, the vicious rape of a uh, 17-year-old girl that he's still on parole for. He's got lifetime parole. And under that cause, they go and they snatch him up and they incarcerate him. <clears throat> By the way, can I call him an incarcerated person, not an inmate? <laughs> I mean, this this was the craziest. Okay, first, I have to I. You know, I always try to figure out, is there some element to this story that we're not seeing? Because I do. Obviously, the video is gut-wrenching. And I'm thinking, well, maybe the video was not available to the prosecutor or to the police. And and that didn't make sense because it did seem it was in the public domain at the time this guy appeared before the bench. 
Um, and so that doesn't make sense. So I can't figure out what could have possibly been going on. But one thing that has me, that got me thinking is, you know, I think that what happened is the supervising people on parole is the, is an executive branch agency of the state of the state. Right. Technically, so are the DAs. You know, Lee Zeldin has said a thousand times, I'm going to fire this person. It's not as easy as he says. It's like a pretty complicated thing to do. You're right. It's a, they're state. They're not city. They're creations of the state. And what I don't understand hasn't happened. If I had to give Kathy Hochul some advice, I would get all of the district attorneys of all the counties in the state, call them to Albany to a conference room and say, I want to tell you, you guys do your job, but here's what I believe. One, you charge people appropriately. Don't try to tra- charge them. And, and, and holding people who are dangerous is what I believe the governor we should be doing. Two, if you don't have the resources, do it. Tell me now, and I'll get you more resources. And three, don't play games with this. Like, don't do what they did. In, you know, in, in the case of that guy, that they lowered the the uh, the charge in order to help him get out on bail to make a political point. But I have to tell you, you know, I don't believe. I believe that this was horribly handled by the district attorney in the Bronx, and there has to be an now, explanation for this. But if Hochul can say, I can swoop in now, I hope she's going to swoop in in the future. A week before, at a breakfast meeting, this same Governor Hochul, when being uh, hectored by the audience about, what are you going to do about Alvin Bragg? Why don't you fire him? You have the power to do that. She said, she went on the record, you think Alvin Bragg is loose in terms of the standards that he applies to his, the arrest and prosecution. You should see the the record of Darcel Clark in the Bronx and Eric Gonzalez in Brooklyn. That went unreported. I didn't even hear, I didn't hear that. Did well, she say that to an open mic? Um, yes. Wow. And naturally reported. No, it's, it's not untrue about the Bronx. I don't know about Brooklyn, but I know it's not untrue about the Bronx. I mean, the, the, the Bronx is, if you're a, if you're a criminal, if you want, if you're a criminal, that's what you want to have. <laughs> right. If you're a defense but lawyer there, that's notice, what I have it. Who is the only person not to comment? The mayor of the city of New York, Eric Adams, because Brack, Darcel Clark, Eric Gonzalez, friends of Eric Adams. He never names and shames. He just generically refers to the criminal justice system. Yeah. He's got to get out of that uh, 5,000 technicolor suit of his, whatever he wears that day. And he's got to start naming and shaming people. He is endorsing candidates who are tough on crime, or tougher on crime. Like, he's he's fighting the AOC wing left and right. Yeah, great one there, right? Conrad Tillett, former Conrad Muhammad, former head of the Nation of Islam in New York City that I had battles with. You know Anthony Weiner. Virulent anti-Semite hates white people, and you think he had an epiphany and suddenly discovered God as a Christian minister? You can forget about that. I know where everybody's bones are buried and who buried them. Come on, Anthony, admit that. Everyone should vote on Tuesday for the candidate of their choice.